So, where are we, now? Where are we uh, at this moment? We are in our series, From Me to You. And we kicked this off a few weeks ago. And essentially, we're saying, okay, Lord, what do you, what did, what's your heart? What do you want to say to us as a people? So, the, 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 the preachers have been coming up here, sharing a message that God has laid on their heart. And we've had some wonderful talks. You can catch them all on the app, on our, on our app, or the vineyardchurch.co.uk website. Uh, you know, we had Henry Cross visiting um, from Rock and Redeemer Church in Dunstable. We had uh, our founding pastor, Chris, speak. Uh, we've had Denise. We've had uh, Heather last week, and we've got some other speakers coming up as well. So this week, it's my turn again. And I was seeking the Lord and said, Lord, what have you got for us this week? And a couple of weeks ago, God gave me one word, hope. Hope. I thought, wow, that's a word. That's a good word. And, um, and as I was meditating on it and thinking of it, I, you know, I really do believe that the issue of our age is hopelessness. It's hopelessness. Who remembers the 2008 campaign of Obama? Do you remember that? And the, what's become a very famous poster, the Hope poster. Do you remember that poster? Hope. And he swept to power, didn't he, on this promise of a brighter future, a one filled with hope. Why was his campaign and this poster just went viral, to use that online term? Because it spoke to an age of hopelessness. It spoke to a world hoping for hope. A world hoping for hope. And that is the title of this talk this morning. And I just get a sense that there are many of you out there, you don't even realize that you are hoping for hope. And God is going to reveal his true hope for you this morning. And indeed, does it not seem to be the issue of the hour for our nation at the moment? You know, I love listening to LBC. I've always listened to it. I love people calling in with all their views. And it's been the past three years, (laughs) wall-to-wall coverage on, of course, Brexit. And everyone calling with their views. And, but the past few days, it's like, the, you know, what, what was going on? You only have to see the news. I mean, there's protests. Our new prime minister's in this, that, and the other. I mean, there's calls of constitutional crisis, etc., etc., etc. And it's like people are calling in. And the dial on fear and despair has just been cranked up to the max. And I hear people say, it's just hopeless, isn't it? They're hopeless. I feel hopeless. This sense of hopelessness is just sweeping. Now, I'm not making any political commentary on this. I'm not sharing an opinion on Brexit. What I'm giving you is a social observation. What's happening, it's almost as if the foundations of our, of our country, of our, of our lives, are shifting so much that God is revealing where our hope truly lies. And people are being exposed and saying, I feel hopeless. You know, the John Maxwell, a great Christian author and leader, says this about hope. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Think about it. It's true. You see, hopelessness births a feeling of being powerless. I cannot change this. What is the future going to bring? And that is what we're hearing all around us, the clamor of hopelessness. But moving away from Brexit for a moment, we see that hopelessness is becoming increasingly a large factor in depression. A report by the International Journal of Epidemiology, uh, which is the science of looking at uh, patterns of health, 
said this as they looked at factors causing depression. They concluded depression may be on the rise among younger millennials, even as, listen to this, typical factors such as substance use and antisocial behavior actually fall. What historically has fueled depression is falling, and yet depression is on the rise. Why? Hopelessness is one of the major factors. But hopelessness isn't just confined to the younger generations. For many older generations, it seemed as if the fabric of society, that thing that gave them security, is itself being torn in two. Maybe you feel that. It's like the social norms that once gave security are evolving at such a pace that the foundations seem to be rocking many. And maybe you find yourself in that place. Well, what does the Bible have to say about hope? I've got some good news. It says a lot about hope. A lot. And let's look at this. What what does the Bible say about the present condition we've just been talking about? Well, Proverbs 13, 12 gives the diagnosis. I love it, by the way, when science catches up with the Bible. Don't you? Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Isn't that interesting? Go figure. Isn't that what we see? Now, I was thinking about this word deferred. Why, why, Why did God use the word deferred? Well, you see, deferment is the, the, the notion that the thing you defer is still available. It's not hope disappears. It's hope deferred. In other words, we can still obtain it. You know, when I finished my A-levels, I deferred my university placement for a year. I made the choice to defer it, but the university was still there. You see this? And you may say, that's a good point, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> Why is it deferred? Guess what? The Bible has something to say about that too. Job 8.13. Those who forgot God have no hope. Isn't that interesting? You see, when you forget God, you defer hope. And we wonder why we live in a world hoping for hope. They don't even realize it. But this isn't just confined to those that have yet to say yes to Jesus. Because there's pockets in my life that I've forgotten about God, that I won't give him, and I wonder why I feel hopeless in those areas. You know, God is stirring the waters in this season. I've mentioned this about Brexit, but I just get the sense that he is stirring us individually as well. And his purpose is to remove false foundations. Because what happens, you see, is it reveals false hope. Charles Spurgeon, I love Charles Spurgeon, that Victorian pastor and preacher says this, hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but only to be discovered in the night of adversity. You see, when our present becomes painful, we look to a future hope. And so, why is revival, listen, about to sweep through in a way in which we've never seen before because the harvest is going to be ready in a way in which it's never been ready before. Because it's only when the darkness sets in that you realize how brightly he shines. So I want to tell you, don't look at what all's going and think, oh, my words, despair. See the fingerprints of God calling people to him 
and saying, I am your true hope. And maybe that's you this morning. You're thinking, you know what, actually, yeah. I've hit some troubles. I've hit some struggles. And all of a sudden, I need to cling on to him. I need hope. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Because God wants to release fresh hope in this place. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So what I want to do then is firstly look at signs of hopelessness. And then we're going to look at what is Christian hope, what is biblical hope. And then we're going to look at how do we move in that hope. Right, signs of hopelessness. Right, so they can probably be split into five categories. The scientific community call this cognitive distortion, which we can call wrong thinking. That's a nice summary. (laughs) And we can all experience levels of hopelessness. Are you ready for the five categories? Here's number one. All or nothing thinking, you know, black and white. It goes like this. I have no future. I will never be happy again. Nobody will ever love me. They are signs of hopelessness. Maybe you catch yourself saying that. Category number two, catastrophizing. What a word. Everything will go wrong. It's the end of the road for me. It's all going to blow up. Number three, fortune telling. It will never get better. What's going to happen in the future is I'm going to run out of money and have nothing and I'll be on the streets. If I try that, it will fail. If I say that, then they will say this about me. Signs of hopelessness. Number four, labeling. I'm a loser. I'm hopeless. I'm worth nothing. Bad things always happen to me. Number five, discounting the positive. Yes, I didn't lose my job at this point of cuts, but guaranteed I'm going to lose it at the next one. Yes, he or she said good things about me, but I guarantee they're not thinking that really about me. Discounting the positive. It's a way in which we get trapped in these mindsets. And what is common amongst all of these? Fear. You see, hopelessness is a fruit of fear. Do you know that? Hopelessness flows out of fear. Let me explain. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating the apple, what happened? Sin entered the world. And at that point, relationship with the Father was broken. We know this, right? And what happens, you see, in the void of love with the Father, fear came in. We know this because perfect love casts out fear. And you see, fear then births hopelessness. But what we're going to see this morning is that true, unshakable hope is a fruit of relationship with him. It flows out of his love for us. Okay? So let's therefore look at what hope is, what biblical hope is. I can tell you what it is not. Let's look at what hope, biblical hope is not. It isn't wishful hope. Wishful hope. This is what wishful hope looks like. Are you ready? I hope I win the lottery, (laughs) then my life will be okay. Do you remember when the uh, National Lottery launched in this country, about 19, what, 94? It could be you. (laughs) Do you remember that marketing campaign? Very powerful. Because all of a sudden everyone thought, actually, not only do I think it could be, I think it will be. (laughs) Was I not the only one that felt that? It's like the whole nation was like, I'm going to win. And let me tell you what I'm going to do with it. This is my list. Number one, go and celebrate big time. Number two, go back to step number one. 
You know, all that kind of stuff. Number three, buy a yacht. Number four, buy a jet to get to the yacht. Number five, get an airport to put the jet in, to go to the yacht, to have a big celebration. You get my point. And everyone thought. And all of a sudden, everyone's there Saturday night. You were there. You remember. You're watching Noel Edmonds. <gasps> I didn't even get one. I'll blow that. Did you know, you're going to love this, it's 75 times more likely that you will get an Olympic gold medal than win the last lottery. <laughs> so if you're good at sport, go and train. And if you're, if you're playing the lottery, well, there's other issues we'll talk about another time. But you get my point. I, I hope they forgive me. After all, it was their fault. I hope so-and-so comes to power. Because when they come to power, everything will be okay. Ever heard that one? Really, all we've done is replace the word hope for wish. Or let me put it the other way around. We've replaced the word wish for hope. I wish I win the lottery. I wish, I wish, I wish. Now, the problem with wish is there is absolutely no basis for certainty, is there? This kind of hope is placed at best, at best, in something or someone that may come through for you, but after all, is still human. I mean, did Obama change the world? Not sure. I'm not making commentary on this. <laughs> and at worst, hope, the world's hope, is a complete fingers-crossed moment like the lottery. In fact, that is their logo. Now, the problem with this kind of hope is that when it shows to be unstable, and it will, you see what happens is when the trouble comes and it gets dark, you realize the sh that star that you were looking for doesn't shine that brightly. That's what happens. And we can't live the dream, and we didn't get what we hoped for, and the person that came to power didn't change the world. Then what happens? You see, this is interesting. Fear sets in. We lose hope, and then we feel powerless. And then we wish for something else, and the cycle continues. You see how that works? We get into a trap. But the Christian hope, friends, is very different. You see, the Christian hope is a certain hope, not wishful hope. The Christian hope is a hope that can be relied upon, a hope which is secure and firm. You know, the writer to the Hebrews 6.11 says, full assurance of hope. Christian hope is not based on what we feel, but based on what is certain to happen. Really? That's quite a claim, Mark. Yeah, it really is, actually. It's in the Bible. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let's look at that for a little bit together. Why does the writer of the Hebrews describe this as a ship with an anchor? Well, here's the thing. Let's look at this. We are the ship, okay? An anchor is the hope. So let's look at this together. Why does a ship need an anchor? Let me give you two reasons. Number one, the ship can drift into unsafe waters without it. You see, it's easy to drift. When we're on holiday, we're on our pedalo. I talked about some of my uh, holiday escapades. Escapades, that's a strong word. They weren't escapades, were they? I mean, they were just relaxing. But, you know, adventures. And we went in a pedalo, and we stopped for a bit, and we were kind of looking at the water, and one of the, the kids kind of jumped in. And before we know it, we had drifted away. But the sun was shining, the water seemingly was calm, but what we didn't realize is that it were undercurrents. And you see, that's what happens in life. We think life is going great. In fact, it is going great. The surface is calm, but there is an undercurrent of life. The cares of this world, the concern of this age, the distractions. And slowly, slowly, without even realizing it, life just happens and we start drifting. Where do we drift from? His calling on our lives. His promises that he made to us. 
All of a sudden, life gets complicated or we, we kind of think, well, what's the point? He may have said that ages ago, but look, life's going great. I'll forget about that. And so we start drifting. But number two is what I want to focus on. Why else does a ship need an anchor? To keep the ship secure in a storm. Let me say, we will all have storms in our life. There are some gospels preached out there that would say there are no storms. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's distorted. There will be times where suffering and persecution comes. Jesus said so. It might be financial. It might be physical. It might be relational. The Bible doesn't promise we won't have sufferings, but it does promise that through the storm, we can be anchored to him. You see, the world's optimism, listen to this, distorts reality to make it look positive to project a future that may be brighter. God's hope says, you know what? Yeah, it does suck right now, but God's got it and your future's better with him. That's the difference. That's the difference. You only have to read the Psalms where David writes. Have you seen the Davidic Psalms? They normally start with, oh God, it's terrible. I'm suffering. Where are you, God? And yet what happens? Hope kicks in. Why? Because he starts drifting. But the anchor has got him. But you, Lord, are with me. You care for me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and staff, they comfort me. And you will prepare a table for me before my enemies. That is the Christian hope. It doesn't deny the present pain. But it recognizes that Jesus is with you and you have an eternal glory awaiting for you. That is hope. And so, my friends, we get to the punchline. And of course, you know this already. But what is that anchor? What do we put our hope in? Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. It says in Psalm 31, 24, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope. In the Lord. That is what we put our hope in. In hope in Jesus. Brexit won't solve it. Celebrities can't provide it. Money can't buy it. Your work won't produce it. Wishful thinking won't give it. Politicians can't generate it. Jesus purchased it on the cross for you. That is hope. We put our hope in God. And what are we hoping? Two things. Number one, his promises towards us. Certain hope is based not on a wish, but what God says. Now in Numbers 23, 19, it says, who is, who is God that he should lie? For he is not a man. His promises are yes and amen. There are over 7,000 promises in this Bible. And let's look at this list. I want to go back to those five cognitive distortions. And let's see what God has to say about that. Number one, all or nothing, I have no future. This is what Jesus says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That is what Jesus says. You know, it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, you know this, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever shall believe will not perish, but have Eternal life. That is the hope that we hold on to. The hope that is our secure anchor. Number two, catastrophizing. Everything will go wrong. No, 
he will work it out for my good. You see, Romans 8.28, this is the promise of God. He works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Yes, your present difficulties are tough. And I don't want to minimize those in any way. But God works all things for good. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12.1. You can trust him in the difficult, dark times. He doesn't leave you. He works in, in you and through you. You know, when Joseph was sold into slavery, there comes a point where famine hits the land and Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt and his brothers come out into Egypt knowing there's plenty and they recognize and all of a sudden they realize that Joseph is the brother they sold into slavery and they fall at his feet and cry and Joseph said, you know what, that which you intended for evil, God intended for good. In other words, the devil schemes but God redeems. That is hope. Number three, fortune telling. It will never get better. God says, you will get through this. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.4 says there is a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. We see the seasons around us. They bear witness to this truth. And I've seen it in my life that the mourning will end and that dancing will come. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the thing about that is it doesn't say even though I sit in here indefinitely. Even though I walk through it. That is the promise. That is the hope that Jesus died on the cross for. Number four, labeling. I'm a loser. No, you're a child of God. 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is your identity. That is your hope. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. That is hope. And number five, discounting the positive. God might love me, might love me now, but what about when I mess up? His love will always be with you. I love this, this verse, Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is our blessed hope. You wonder what eternity is? Let me just tell you, it's just relationship with God. It's his love. Eternity is there because nothing can separate us from his love. And so let me just encourage you as I invite the band up. If you say, yeah, you know what, that's me. I've been in hopeless. I recognize those statements of mine. Let me tell you something. Don't defer hope in Jesus. But turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Because he is the anchor for your soul. And that leads me to the second point about what we hope in Jesus. Eternity with him in glory. Jesus is our blessed hope. Titus 2.13 says, Await in our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Paul says in Romans 8, 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, when we have hope in Jesus, it gives us right perspective on eternity. 
and we realize we are just here for a moment and forever with Jesus. That is our hope. That is how everything can seem strangely dim around us, to use the hymnist line. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're in a place of hopelessness, I want to give us time to allow the Holy Spirit to minister hope into you. So why don't we stand together? You see, the fruit of hope is joy. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, For the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Isn't that interesting? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because he had hope in his Father. Inexplicable joy, unexplainable peace, overflowing praise. That is the place that you move to when you have hope in Jesus. So the band are going to play and we're just going to just allow the Holy Spirit just to minister right now. We're going to see where we're going to go with this. Do you trust me? Great. Holy Spirit, would you just come now? Come Lord Jesus and minister to your people.